Hey, hi there. Hey, welcome to Praise Dionysus. Praise him. Um, it is Jake. It is just Jake. Um, uh, so it's just you and me this week. Um, and yeah, uh, we'll, we will be talking about Wielding Theatre's production of Curveball. Um, yeah, at La Mama. So let's, let's get into it, baby. Um, I am so sorry for referring to you as baby. I don't know, well, I, no, I don't know why I did. I wish I hadn't. I really, really hate, just to talk about something that you don't care about, really, really hate people casually throwing baby around as some sort of like, I don't know, frivolous, faux familiar term of endearment to nobodies. Um, I think we've ruined a good thing. I thought it was always really lovely. The first time I remember hearing someone call someone baby like that was my ex-boyfriend. But like, obviously Austin Powers was first, but then yeah, my ex-boyfriend would do it. And I thought it was the most charming thing in the world. I thought it was so sweet. Not even when it was just to me, when it was just like, just to, you know, anyone about anything. I thought it was like a very, very charming linguistic phenomenon of his mouth. I thought, <laughs> um, but no, I think we have, uh, nope, thrown it in the dirt, stomped on it a bit, and now it's ruined. Um, I think Britney Spears is part of the reason that it's on such a pedestal for me, but now again, I think um, it's been handled too much and too casually, and now it is gross. Uh, so yeah, sorry for calling you that, and sorry for talking about it for so long. <laughs> Again, it's <laughs> I like to think that that introductory portion of nonsense was a was a was another really really great telltale sign of it being just a Jake episode this week. Um, so how was my week? Thank you for asking. Um, thank you for sticking around even this long. That's very very generous of you with your time. I went to a dinner party. I went to a dinner party at Blonde Haley's house. She threw a dinner party with her brother who is in the legal profession, um, but he made us dinner. He made us, I'm not going to list the items, partly because I can't remember them because they had like fancy names and different components. Part of it was like, he didn't call it a salmon, like he didn't call it a salmon Wellington, but it was like a bunch of salmons <laughs> in a, like a puff pastry. So, uh, sorry for making you hungry with that succulent description, but, um, it was nice <laughs> as a food, but even nicer than the food was the experience itself. I always imagined my adulthood, which I humiliatingly am in the midst of, <laughs> um, always thought my adulthood would be just like full of, just it would just be like a constant parade of different dinner parties. So every time one happens, I, I, I'm pretty jazzed about it, honestly, um, even if it goes atrociously, which this one didn't. This one was so nice. It was good. It was like well cast. Um, it was nice. I think you need at least like every dinner party needs at least one wild card person. You know, like someone that is like I think in a personal sense you need one wild card person for yourself as a guest to get through the party because you need that mysterious figure. And I think even still with the, the the party almost looking at it objectively, you need to have at least one character who is kind of like an unpredictable component that could add some I don't know like possibly necessary spice to it. You know, you don't want to know how everything's going to go to whatever extent you really can when when cobbling together these events. Um, and for me, it was a guy named Joe and I didn't know him very well. I know him better now. Um, and yeah, no, he's captivating and handsome and lovely. So it was nice to sort of like see him for a prolonged period of time. Cause before then it had just been like grabs of nothing. So that was nice. That's my tedious little insight. It was a really good time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I think it's my like inner Oscar Wilde that just craves these, <laughs> these dinnerly extravagances. 
And maybe also, like, my <laughs> brothers and sisters has also very much made me always ready for a, for a dramatic outburst at a dinner table. Um, honestly, at this point, I wish I'd had fewer of them. <laughs> Outbursts, not dinner parties. I wish I'd had fewer... Fewer dinner parties where someone left crying. Anyway, let's, let's not walk down that avenue just yet. Um, but yeah, so what am I going to give this goddamn week? Star rating out of five. I think I'm going to go with seven. Seven stars out of five. Because was that the number of people at the party? I don't know. That's definitely my guess in terms of how many fish were in that salmon wellington. So we're going with salmon. Um, and sorry if I left anybody out. God bless Kurt. That was a Sound of Music reference. Um, yeah, let's get out of this quagmire of my mental ineptitude and let's get into some theatre. <laughs> also, I did not even explain James's absence. Not that I really can. Like, it's a strange combination of, like, oh, like, like professional nonsense is happening. He's fine. It's like... <laughs> But, but yeah, just know that he's absent for reasons that if I went into them, you'd be like, oh, I don't necessarily need to know that about a person that I may not know at all. It's, it's, I promise when he comes next week, which, and I don't believe I'm jinxing it in, in suggesting that he's going to be here next week, but when he is here next week, I say, as I touch wood, uh, he will go into as much detail as he's comfortable going into when he, when he gets back. Again, don't be intrigued. Stop salivating mentally. It's, it's, it's I, I don't know, I don't know how much you'll enjoy the story if he chooses to tell it. <laughs> um, what else? Yeah, sorry, I'm still hung up in this mindset of like, do I need to tell you more things about my week? No, because I think they're all, everything that was worthwhile is attached to other things that if you knew about them, you'd be like, well, that why is that taking up any space in my mind, even temporarily? Um, let's get into Curveball. Okay, so it was by Wielding Theatre and it happened at the La Mama Courthouse. Um, it was devised by David Baker, Clarice Bonello, Ben Jamison, and Millie Cooper, and Millie Cooper directed it. Um, yeah, let's... So, okay, so first off, I get to the goddamn courthouse. I run into Millie, the <laughs> director and, like, co-divisor, um, and she's super wonderful. So that was that was just a very, like, sweet exchange, the very brief conversation we got to have, which was really lovely. Um, and, yeah, so then I... Yep, and then as I was talking to her, Connor Dariel turned up, my pal Connor... Like, you know, beautiful Connor. You know who Connor is. Uh, he turned up and then, yeah, we like sat around, went inside, sat in the little courthouse foyer and yeah. And then we sort of like got the program and then, cause we like sort of went into it, not really knowing anything about it. I, all we kind of gleamed and we were guessing off of was from the, you know, that, I don't know how well you know the courthouse, but you know how they have that kind of like, you know, when they're selling a house and they put that big ugly wooden poster out the front of a house to be like, come and buy this house. And then they put that weird sort of poetic three word descriptions like, opulent rural suburbia, um, that. <laughs> what I'm describing to you is a large rectangular sign. And I don't know why I'm incapable of describing things succinctly <laughs> or saying succinctly right the first time. Um, there's a sign out the front of the La Mama Courthouse that they paint the poster of the show onto. And on this was Curveball, the name of the show, the, the season length. And then there was like a picture of the earth in a plastic bag. And from that, and then the program that we then <laughs> attained from the box office, Jake, tell a story better. Um, Connor and I then sat down, skim read the description. I read less of it because I wanted to be surprised more than Connor did apparently. And then we started guessing at the show that we were about to see. What we came down to was like probably some environmentalism um, and it's devised. 
Those two things come, of course, with a lot of baggage in terms of the things that I at least bring into the theatre when encountering pieces of art like that. Um, James is not here to interject or stop me from talking. So, as we've experienced before, you and I, I'm <laughs> I, oh my god, I'm just gonna keep walking down different yellow brick roads. So, yeah, so you walk in, I don't know how you feel about either devised or environmental theatre. I have strong feelings about both types. If we're gonna call them genres, both of those genres elicit a lot of reactions in me. And when I'm about to see a piece of theatre of either ilk, let alone both of them, I, I bring to it <laughs> a myriad concerns. Is that how you use myriad? Do you leave off the of? Text me. I've never been sh like super certain. Um, environmental theatre. I'll go into that more later because this I, I think that's a thing worthy of some longer conversation than my mouth is currently in the mood to do. Um, but in terms of devised theatre, it always makes me nervous because <laughs> as I think it does anybody who has been through any type of like performing arts thing, I think. Um, by thing I mean like institution or even just like collective effort or as even like devised a show with people before because, and of course there are many, many ways to devise. There's as many ways to devise as there are auteurs, you know? Uh, but, <laughs> but I guess my brain, as yours may as well, given how our, you know, like our anxieties align potentially, um, it goes to the worst case scenario, which is a bunch of dull idiots getting together choosing a theme, wasting a few weeks, developing, you know, performative indications of their lack of sense of humours or artistic sensibilities, stitching them together and then insisting that it's intellectual. That is <laughs> absolutely not what this show was. But anytime someone says that a show is devised, my anxious mind goes to, I hope it isn't that thing that I just described, but it's always very ready for it to be, for it to be especially absolutely that. Um, which also, I guess, to be fair, means that you're kind of set up to really wow me with anything that is devised that is not as atrocious as the thing that I just described. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Don't let me be the one to discourage you <laughs> from devising theatre. If that was the one thing holding you back, you get out there. You, <laughs> you choose three separate themes, you find seven of your most talented friends, and you roll around in a barn for a few weeks until you, I don't know, get programmed somewhere. And I'll come, <laughs> and I'll probably like it. Um, but yes, devised theatre makes me nervous. Connor and I go inside. <laughs> we go inside the theatre, we sit in the front row, because we are brave, thank you. Um, we're sitting there, and then I, I'm gonna get more hung up on this than I should, given what it was. So we're sitting there, <laughs> and then we, we, it's, we, we talk <laughs> as we sit, and we wait for the show to begin. Um, this woman, whose name I do not know, this woman comes out, and she's in charge of doing like, the introductory, like, front of house, housekeepy remarks. And it's definitely, like, top three, like, performances of this type that I've witnessed as a theatre-going person. I wish I knew what her name was. I have no way, like, I have no <laughs> non-invasive way of finding out what her name is. She must be an employee of La Mama, <laughs> but she's remarkable. So it's like, I'm going to walk you through why she was incredible. If it's unclear as to what I'm describing, it's like the person that comes out before the show starts to be like, hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Um, it was opening night. I'm sure she mentioned it, <laughs> but it's, it's that person who sort of like gears you up for what's to come. And also with being La Mama, you, there's like the, the raffle where you win something. I didn't win and I was so goddamn grateful, but I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> so she comes out and begins her front of house speech. First off, any speech that starts with the person out of breath is immediately great. <laughs> 
she began this way, and it's like, yes, dra like dramaturgically, it's an incredible way to start a speech. It adds some urgency. It raises some questions. It, I, I'm, it's just really smart. I think if you are nervous about having to deliver, to deliver any sort of speech, begin out of breath. Even better if you can like rush into and towards the microphone you have to use. But anyway, she comes on in, she starts talking, and then she has to relay more information than like the average introductor a person does. You know, she has to get across like all the basics, all the safety basics, but then she also has to convey like, don't turn your phones off. Um, like turn them on silent, but don't turn them off. She does a really, really great welcome to country. Like I, it's, it's a, I understand it's a difficult thing to talk about. Like me, not her, me. It's difficult for me or anybody to talk. I'm obviously not talking in a critical way about welcome to country. It's an absolutely crucial, important thing that we do when we're storytelling on this stolen land. But there are obviously like there's different ways to do it. And her version, which is a version that I enjoy, is like, she said the classic text, but then she added her own spin to it. And the spin she added was very earnest and uh, w without straying into kind of like performatively sappy. Again, I'm going to stop talking about it now because I feel like it's getting offensive. But I, yeah, I just really appreciated the way that she sort of like <laughs> started talking about, um, uh, she was talking about storytelling or something. It was just a, a really like, ah. Oh! I'm engaged, I'm interested. She has to be a performer because it was really, really good work that she was doing. Then she also had to do the raffle. I was terrified of winning. Connor promised me that if I won, he would take the ticket and he could have the prize because there is no, I do not want to stand up <laughs> and be like, I did it, I did it. Prize, please. I'm not doing that, ever. This woman also had to be like, oh, we're gonna start the show a little bit late because there's a latecomer coming. Then during her speech, the latecomer arrived and then she sort of had to like try the best she could to make him feel comfortable about going to his seat in a theater full of people. <laughs> I just think this woman was incredible. And if there were like, I don't know, if there were a green room award for show introductions, she'd be at least nominated. Um, but anyway, I'm getting hung up on something that maybe you aren't here to hear about, but I just think she really deserved some sort of acknowledgement. Um, but yeah, so then the show started and it begins. And so it starts like slideshow of like provocative, provocative images, uh, text conveying that we're kind of in this like, dystopic, futuristic, fractured kind of like, like dirt future place. Um, at this point coming into it, Connor and I kind of just know, obviously it's environmental. It's got an eye towards kind of the the apocalypse, the environmental apocalypse. And the show begins and then kind of like, yeah, sort of proceeds to circle around those themes. In like in, a, in an engaging, funky, very physical, not super duper text heavy kind of way. Um, and yeah, how do I keep, I feel like I'll just keep talking vaguely if I don't start talking specifically, which I guess is the nature of of text and speech. It was like relatively episodic in the way that it seemed. And this is me sort of like, part of what Connor and I talked about afterwards was like, kind of like, I, I think it's part of the curse of like being a theater maker is like feeling like you can guess at the process that led to the performance that you see. And, um, which is absolutely not a negative thing, but it seems to, to guess at the process as a means of talking about the outcome. It's like, it's almost seems as if they started with an object or a, or a piece of text or a, maybe even an idea or a costume piece, and then kind of like built a physical story 
around that that idea or thing or piece, and it meant that everything kind of had a like a central point. So it was kind of like episodic movement pieces in a row, based around what one of those elements. I guess um, itself. It was the three performers on stage the entire time. Upstage, there was like a big fucking you know those big old chunky you could fit like five bodies into it recycling bin things in sort of like upstage right hand side of the stage at the back there was like a big projector screen thing on the wall where they were like doing like really great image there was like a lot of like imagery and text back there to add some dynamism to everything which was great which was cool um there was this i don't know where they found this footage but a rather like startling striking part was when they had like this i don't know if they made the footage themselves or if they just found it in like the, the the dark web but it was like a weird fish tank and it had like a snake and a and a frog and a like a tarantula and like some fourth other creature and they were about to all eat each other i was pretty, pretty um yeah i don't know that just made me very nervous i'm not very good at watching animals eat each other i was looking the other day i feel like no who did i explain this to i was talking to dominic about this for like very convoluted and vaguely like not vaguely specifically emotional reasons i needed to find a way to find footage of a mongoose eating a snake i was just going through this real symbolic time um I was going through, it was, it was a time, it was one of these classic times where Jake was falling apart and snakes as a symbol started like emerging around me in a way that felt a little bit enveloping, enveloping, I don't think I said that clearly, <laughs> that felt a little bit enveloping and I needed to take some sort of like emotional charge. I'm sorry if this makes me sound like a cuckoo clock, but this is part of how I am stuck experiencing the world. And so I thought these snakes are taking over my mind and they are tethered to things that could claim me for a little while. And so in order to reclaim a level of sort of agency in my universe, it was like, okay, what beats snakes? And <laughs> it's my belief that the only thing that beats snakes other than my mind went to that Simpsons episode where they play Barry White into the ground and attract all the snakes, but that's the opposite of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about <laughs> a whacking day that isn't whacking day, I guess. I'm talking about what beats snakes. And my understanding is that mongoose, mongooses? Mongeese. That mongeese are the only things that like beat snakes at fights. And, <laughs> and so I went about trying to find footage of mongeese eating snakes, but I... All I found was them having altercations and then no one losing and then they would part ways. I was like, no, internet, I need <laughs> I need to find snake death at the hands of a mongoose. And I couldn't find any. And then I stopped looking because snakes are terrifying. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> Maybe like me, the bulk of your snake experiences were Jafar turning into one. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I couldn't find any where the mongoose won and then left wearing the snake as a scarf. I couldn't find any of that footage and I needed it. So I had to find a, you know, <laughs> an arguably healthier and more effective way of climbing out of that pit I'd fallen into that was full of snakes. Anyway, where was I? Environmental theatre. Um, part of what I found so entrancing about the piece itself um, was the fact of, like, I don't know if you connect to this at all. I think I always come into, well, I tend to come into a piece of theater kind of really into the people, the people on stage. It's the, the, the people that grab my attention. It's the text they say that matters to me. Like that is kind of like the pinnacle of what I, I think that that's where I seek out what I think I will get the most from a show at, you know, like that's where I stick my fangs in order to 
get get what I think I'm going to like the most. And what was interesting and I guess challenging about this due to my own shortcomings was the thing of like, they very well hid, so like David Clarice and Ben, the performers, they very effectively hid any thought of who they were as outside of the theatre people inside their performances in the way of like, I didn't leave feeling like I'd really gotten to know any of them. Like, I think some of Ben stuck out in a way that I think was only because I, you know, I, I think I was so, I was gut, like, I was desperate to connect to one of them because as I said, that is just the way that I experienced theater. And I think there were just like glimmers of Ben. And this is me purely guessing because I have no idea who this man is. I know that he's good at <laughs> at environmental dance work, <laughs> but that's, that's all I know. But it seems like as far as I can tell, has a good sense of humor and I really like his voice. And so then of course I got those two pebbles of information and then started extrapolating a world where we could be friends with each other. Um, but beyond that, it was kind of like, even afterwards when I was talking to Connor, I was like, oh, Clarice seemed a bit like this, or David was a bit like this. And he was like, literally, how could you have worked that out? And I was like, that's a pretty good point. And it's like, I, <laughs> I was, yeah, I was, yeah, I don't know. So that that was impressive in the way that to be watching people for about an hour and to leave with very little to no reliable knowledge about them as people, I guess, artistically is very interesting um, and impressive, I guess. Um, and kind of meant, and for that reason and for other reasons, one of the reasons being too, I guess, and I, this certainly comes back to my taste as well um, and my mental nature is like, because of even the text that was included, it wasn't even really text that was loaded with the meaning that that informed the purpose of the show. Like the only text that really existed in it outside of the stuff that was voiceover or written down in these projections behind them, all the text that was kind of said by the actors rarely had anything, like I don't think really ever had anything to do with the way that the scenes, even if you can call them that, that the the episodes would function. Um, It would just be kind of like text for text's sake and the themes present in the text reflected off the other components of the piece that they were performing in an equal sense. Like the words would almost function as not props, but even just like atmosphere more so than being very semantically loaded in in, in any sort of significant way, which again, isn't like an interesting, very un-me way to use text. So it's always fun to experience people making art that you, that your, that your sensibilities would never like lead you to make or necessarily like seek out, you know? Um, So that was cool. I guess... To give you an idea of how the show kind of worked and looked, um, uh, just to like give you an example of a scene, um, there was a portion where they were kind of, uh, two of the performers were speaking sort of like overlaid text messages. And again, that was sort of an example of the text meaning very little, but functioning in a, in a stagecrafty way. Maybe that's the least interesting, not the least interesting. Maybe that's not the one to explain to you. There was a portion, okay, this is something. So like the one, <laughs> there was this, I'm talking to you as if you were there. There was this portion where they put on these hazmat suits and then they were sort of like writhing around for a while. And then they ended up kind of like cradling these other hazmat suits that looked like they were housing a person's body, but then were revealed to be containing a bunch of like milk jugs, like plastic milk jugs. And I found this part, especially I'd say, I think to me, it was the most striking moment because I think and I'll come back to this exact point in sentence because I think I need to encapsulate this other component of like part of what I find overwhelming and curious and more mentally strenuous than fun. And that's not a negative thing. I, I don't know why I'm so reluctant to sound negative. <laughs> um, 
something about this type of work. And it's sort of like tied to what I was talking to James about, about the appeal of ballet to me, um, is the sense that it, at least for the way it interacts with my mind, and maybe yours too, is if they don't give you words to cling onto or a particular type of dramatic tension, um, it kind of leaves your hands empty in trying to grapple with what they're giving you or something. I think maybe, I don't know, maybe instead of giving you utensils that you can hold in your hand or bite-sized morsels of things to gradually be consuming, um, they're kind of like plonking, you know, boulders in front of you and it's kind of your job to just kind of like navigate these boulders in some sort of way. I don't know what this metaphor is. Um, But without text and without traditional drama, it's kind of like a swamp of ideas. Um, Not even a swamp, it's kind of like... It's, it's almost like it's a, it's a gas or something, you know? It's like it's, it's all these ideas in front of you and you just kind of experience them and kind of like part of your job, it feels, as an audience member, is to kind of like let the symbols and the semiotics and the essence of what's being conveyed, again, very little of which was textual, but more recognisable symbols, like the hazmat suit, the plastic... Um, there was like a, a portion where... It, I won't give that away, the show is still on, but there's like these large set moments that occur, the way that they engage with the the big rubbish bin, the way that it seems like, because symbolically a couple of times it seems like they're almost doing away with the extravagance, not the extravagances, the, th- the things that humans have brought to their existences. Like it, it, so it seems almost as if throughout the show they're throwing in the bin things that make us human and make us different from animals. Like they throw away things like our capacity to communicate. Um, and other things. Again, the show is still on, so I'm not going to spoil... I'm trying not to spoil anything for you. Um, um, but, you know, in the way that it's like you can't be reassured by any sort of literal text inclusion that you're on the same path that they want you on, which I imagine would have been a large part of what Harlow Carey, the dramaturg, um, and the devisers had to bear in mind when trying to make this piece of theatre something that could be satisfying and at least... (laughs) specific and deliberate enough to ensure that people were on, I guess the concern then becomes making sure they're on a worthwhile journey. Um, and, and part of the artistry of that is a, is a unique style of trust in an audience, I guess. Um, because, because it's the sort of piece where you could just sit there and be like, you know what? I'm bored because they're not telling me what to think or think about or mentally debate. And so it's my job to sit here and be like, okay, so why are they doing this now? What is this music meant to make me feel? Why are they throwing that in the bin? Why did they do that? Why is that swooping over my head? Um, and if you don't want to engage, it's a real option for you. Um, but but now and then, again, I couldn't do this all the time, but now and then it's kind of like nice to be left to your own mental devices um, and to see a show that really made me... What did I say I was going to come back to? Of course I forgot where I was going to come back to. Um, I think it was this thought. I think it was the thought of, like, something that I don't think is spoiling anything, but was, like, the most memorable... I think the most memorable thing that I left feeling, um, outside of, like, larger-scale global anxieties, was this thought that happened, and I don't know how on purpose this was, because it feels like it was a moment that was so fleeting that maybe I invented too much of it for it to have been... I don't know. I don't know. But it made me think it. I fully credit the show with making me think about this, um was it seemed like for a moment at least they were sort of like symbolically offering forth this moment that of course can only exist in the realm of, you know, like symbols and ideas. But the thought of 
it felt for a second at least because of the way that everything had combined in the in the in the tale they were telling it felt like plastic was <laughs> lulling us to sleep and our eventual deaths almost in the way that a mother would cradle a dying child <laughs> um and uh, that made me frightened and sad and also it is kind of triggered in me as it was it was like a feeling well it was a feeling that i've had for quite some time in terms of storytelling and socially responsible storytelling and environmental storytelling. Um, but this is the first time that I thought this thing that they led me to think about, that the whole idea of plastic almost holding a cushion over our faces and telling us to like to stay calm. Um, but this show very much felt like, and it's partly due to the mental journey that I've been on in terms of the way that the environment is going and the way that I'm at least experiencing for myself theatre attempting to engage with it um, in a way that I think is uniquely theatrical and less and less cinematic. Like, I don't... I, I <laughs> refuse to let Don't Look Up be a part of this conversation, partly because that film was so awful. <laughs> um, but so forget I even mentioned it. Um, there's something very interesting and upsetting and scary, but justified, and I think... I don't know. The way that theatre now when it talks about the environment, feels to me, and it's not just this show, um, feels to me like it's possibly started to turn this corner towards post-hope, <laughs> uh, which makes sense. Like, it absolutely makes sense and somehow feels more honest than making uh, than, than making a piece of theatre that's proactive in the sense of, like, no, let's get out there and recycle and let's get out there and turn light switches off and let's get out there and, like, protest. It makes sense to me that we are now at this point where theatre is getting made that is like, okay, so the end is coming. How are we all going to cope with that? And what what are the beginnings of the conversations surrounding what holding each other until the end is going to feel like? And that's what this show felt like, at least for me. Um... For that reason, I was really grateful to witness experimentation with that field of thought um, because it's upsetting and seeing and seeing theatre do anything like that. To see, to see theatre grapple with the things that you're kind of afraid of and are yet to even know enough in yourself to have a proper conversation with another human about, to see a bunch of artists toying with those ideas and having that conversation kind of for you and with you is something that I'm always going to be great, like, grateful for regardless of the subject matter. Um, there's there's something too that it made me think about of like <laughs> this this like environmental cataclysm okay. I don't know I think and this is part of the tragedy that that it made me reflect upon was the idea of like going through this environmental apocalypse together and how I don't know how there could be some comfort in <laughs> and I guess this embraces the inevitability of it comfort in the fact of us going through it together and when I say us part of me wants to clarify that it feels like it's going to be like like the lower middle class and below <laughs> for whatever reason um I don't know and maybe and maybe that isn't even I'd say it's certainly not restricted to just thinking about environmental apocalypse but maybe even like a capitalist one you know um I don't know maybe there's something in Sorry, th these are all the things that... And I think part of it is because of the textlessness of the piece. It left me with kind of like the shadows of the ideas, but I didn't have the ideas. And so now I have to come up with the ideas. Um, the idea of the... 
the, the melting away of individual responsibility for the environment and replacing it with a sense of community in the, in the looming specter of doom <laughs> or something. I don't know, maybe not to come back to the Simpsons, but maybe, maybe, maybe we need to find some warmth in the Flanders bomb shelter as we wait for that asteroid to hit Springfield. I don't know. I don't know. And maybe this play was all of them walking to the top of that hill and singing in a circle. If I'm remembering that episode correctly. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it certainly stirred up all of those feelings about, about environmental fear. Um, but yeah, it will certainly be a show that I think about when I think about, as I find myself doing more and more often, and I'm sure you do as well, when I think about how to emotionally handle the day-to-day belief that <laughs> we're heading for some sort of hefty disaster. Like, like, that's not to say that it's going to be the end of everybody, but it's going to make a lot of this place in like uninhabitable. Yeah, I can't go into the details. <laughs> I can't go into the details partly because I do not have the statistics, the, the statistics in front of me. So I'm not just going to like make you anxious through vagaries. I at least want to be giving you information and I have no information for you. But assuming that you're in this camp with me of like a, a decent degree of hopelessness, um, I, I think the, a place where I'm going to find hope for, uh, maybe deludedly, <laughs> is the thought of us going through it together. And I can hear the darkness in that remark. Quack, quack. Um, but that's what this show made me think about. Um, uh, ever since seeing it, I've been, I don't know, I, I for an ex- example, yesterday, um, I, I told... Like, there's a new handsome barista in my life, and I'm sure you know how significant that is to a mentally broken person like me. (laughs) I told him that I went and, rather, kind of inaccurately, I said to him, oh, I went and saw a environmental dance piece. And this was more of a movement device piece than it was a dance piece, but I called it a dance piece just because I was, you know, not wanting to say too many words, because the more words I say, the more bad ones I'll say. (laughs) I said to handsome barista, I was like, I saw an environmental dance piece. And he was like, oh, cool, that sounds fantastic. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> it is fantastic that that is a type of show that exists. Um, I'm very glad this show exists. Um, and yeah, and yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, excited to see what these people make. Like, yeah, I'm keen to see what what Wielding Theatre makes next because it's nice to now and then have to go to these shows that require you to do like a special. Maybe this is talking too specifically about my my brain, but I'm sure part of you relates to this as well. Of as I was talking about, it, it, giving you ideas to muddle around with and then yeah for artists to give you the credit and for the form to require you to engage in kind of like a deeper almost meditative way with the work that they put forth um it was weird and confident (laughs) um and i think that's two wonderful things for a show to be so uh yeah yeah i'm glad i was there And so, yeah, um, yeah, just the one show to talk about, just the one Jake to talk to you about it. <laughs> um, God, what a lame thing for me to have just said to you. I, yeah, so that's that's it for this week. Um, thank you so much for being here. Um, tonight, um, I'm going to a story slam again. I'm going, I'm going back to Howler, <laughs> to the story slam that the sexual health doctor told me to go to. I'm going again. This time I'm going with Chanel and Blonde Haley. Um, hopefully it's going to be a lovely night. Um, there's a cowboy there that I hope to run into. 
and I'll, I'll probably let you know how it goes next week. Um, wish me cluck, which is what a chicken says when they want to wish you cluck. <laughs> um, thank you so much for, for your time. Um, yeah, uh, touching wood again, James will be here next week. Um, if you're doing anything theatrically that you'd like us to come to and then talk about on this podcast that we're doing, um, please reach out to us in any fashion, shout at us across the street, throw a brick through our windows with a note attached to it, or email us at praisedionysis at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram at praisedionysis. Um... Is that all of it? Yeah, I suppose. So I just, the last thing to say is um, I may already disagree with everything that I just said. And friends, don't let friends become theatre critics. Uh, Have a a really wonderful whatever day it is. (laughs) I hope the next, you know, 24 hours of your life are just remarkable. Um, Thanks for spending all this time with me, baby.